And uh, if you've not been with us, maybe you're visiting with us today. What we've been talking about in this series uh, is sadly that uh, a lot of people, uh, when they think of the church or they see the church, they think of it as a place that we go. Or when they think of the church or someone says church to them, they think that it's an event that we attend or participate in. But what we've been talking about and looking at in this series is that the church is not a place. The church is not an event, but instead the church is a movement. And so what we see here in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in this, in this study for several weeks, but we, we've seen here in the book of Acts so far that the original church uh, was a movement that was gathered around a mission. And, and uh, the mission we see in Acts chapter 1 where we began, the mission was given first and then the church was established uh, after the mission was given. So the church was created in order to fulfill the mission. All right, and, and it wasn't the other way around. And so uh, I would say that a church that is not on mission, a church that is not a part of the mission, is not really a church at all. Uh, I would also say that believers that are not on a mission are not really a part of the church and a part of the bride of Christ. And, and we've been looking at uh, the fact that these first century Christians, here in the book of Acts is where it all begins, where the church began, where the movement began. And we've seen that these first century Christians began this great movement because they were captured by the message. They were captured by uh, uh, this, the, the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus where he had, he had died and had been buried and resurrected and, and you know hundreds had seen him after the resurrection and they were captured by this message that Jesus had gone and done for them what they could not do for themselves. And they were so captivated by the message that they were committed to give anything, to give up anything. They were willing to go anywhere and do whatever it took in order to get this message out into the world. They were so captured by it and so captivated, that's where the movement began. That's how it began, is that they were so devoted and dedicated to it that they just did whatever it, it took. And not only that, but we also have learned that they had the power to do that, the ability to do that, not of themselves, not of anything that they could do, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that God had given them and poured out upon them, and we saw that uh, last week. So I, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week in chapter 2 uh, by seeing, you know, uh, last week we saw what this event looked like when the movement started, what was taking place. Uh, it was the day of Pentecost, actually, when the, when the, the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers there. And, and I think it's awesome to note that today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, for those of you that may not know it, Pentecost Sunday uh, comes exactly seven weeks after after Easter, it's 50 days, Pentecost, Penta meaning 50, it's 50 days uh, after Easter, and so today we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, and what we learned is that uh, this was a huge Jewish holiday uh, that was taking place, the, uh, all the nations had gathered from all around to be a part of this great celebration uh, of, the, of Pentecost, and we saw what this event looked like when it happened, and, and then we skipped down to the end there of chapter 2 to see what the result was of when the Holy Spirit fell uh, upon them, how these followers of Jesus responded 
to the mission, how they responded to the, the mission and how the church, how this movement looked uh, in the very beginning when the church was established initially. And we began to break down verse 42. If you weren't here last week, uh, uh, I encourage you to go back and catch up by listening online. Uh, it's available on our website, available on podcast if you do that. But we begin to break down verse 42 here in Acts chapter 2, and I want to look at it again this morning. It says this, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves in this movement to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And so real quickly, uh, again, just kind of review what we talked about last week. We see here that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which means they were devoted to the Word. Uh, they, they hungered for the Word. They, they, they wanted to be in the Word. They were learners. They were so committed to the message that they wanted to know more about the message and understand the message and be able to share the message. So we saw they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Uh, we also saw that they were devoted to each other. As, as followers and, and members of this movement, they were devoted to being with other members of the movement and being spending time with them. And we talked about what these fellowships looked like. It looked like small groups. It looked like home groups. It looked like uh, Sunday school classes is, is what it looked like. And they're, they're two huge and very important traits that a follower of Jesus will have. What we've, saw, what we've seen here is an example of what a member of this movement's life will look like right here. This is what it looks like. Four things that it will look like that, that you see here. And it won't be something that we have to do. It won't be a checklist. Oh, I've got to go to church on Sunday and I've got to go, to, you know, now they want me to join a small group and somebody's been hounding me to be a part of a Sunday school class. And now good grief, they're wanting me to teach vacation Bible school. And I don't even like kids, but you know, I feel obligated that I've got to do it. You know, and all these things, and it's check this box, check this box, check this box. And if I check enough boxes, then they might look at me and say, well, they're, they're one of us. They're a member. They're a part of the movement. But listen, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a devoted uh, follower of Jesus, it won't be something that we have to do. Listen, it will be something that will come natural to you. These won't be four check boxes that you have to check. These will be four things that will just be natural to you that you'll hunger for and you'll want to do and to be a, a part of. Uh, a hunger for the Word of God. A hunger to have relationships with other people that are part of this movement. Uh, the first church was devoted to it. And so the question that we've been asking for the past several weeks, and we're going to continue to ask for the next several weeks, is this. They were devoted to these things. Are you? Are you? Because if you are part of the movement, this is what your life will look like. You will be devoted to the movement. You won't just be a, someone sitting on the sidelines watching the movement go by. They're not part of the movement if they're just watching it move, right? They're spectators. So we're trying to determine in this series if we're spectators or if we're part of the movement. And at times it may be uncomfortable 
to ask ourselves some questions to kind of analyze and figure out, you know, are, are we part of the movement that is moving? Or are we just spectators and watching what the, is taking place within in the movement? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to each other. And then next we see here in this scripture that they were devoted to uh, the breaking of bread. And we're going to come back to that one uh, in just a minute. But I want to move on to the next one. Then it says they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And we talked about this a little bit last week as well. I told you we were going to come back to it. But they understood, listen, they understood their dependence on God. They, they understood how much they needed God to be a part of this movement, right? They, they understood that. And so what did they do? They prayed all the time. They prayed all the time. Not because they were told to. Not because Peter stood before them and preached this awesome sermon convincing them about the power of prayer and the steps that it took to, to be able to pray heaven down. You know, they didn't hear a sermon. Nobody had to tell them that they needed to pray. They just knew they needed God's help. And the way you'd get God's help is by going to him in prayer and seeking his help. And they understood this. It was just a natural response to being in relationship with God. It came natural to them. Think about it. They were captivated. They were captured by what God had called them to do on this movement. What did he ask them to do? He'd given them this huge assignment. Remember from earlier in the series, we saw this. God gave them this huge assignment to be his witnesses, right? Not just to be his witnesses, but to be his witnesses in all the world. And at this point in time, they didn't even know how big the world was, right? They still thought it was flat. And so they didn't know how big this task was, but they knew it was bigger than themselves. And they knew that this command that God had given them, they could not do. They couldn't do it. They couldn't carry it out. They couldn't do what God had asked them to do. And so they knew the only way that this can be done is through the same power that raised Jesus up out of that tomb. All right, God can do it. If God can do that, God can do what he's told us to do. And he'll give us the power, the ability, the finances, and everything that we need to be able to do it. And so what did they do? They prayed. They did it naturally. And so we saw in the beginning of this, God gave them this huge assignment to be his witnesses in all the world. And then he told them this. He said, but wait. All right, here's this huge assignment, but I want you to wait because I'm sending you a helper. All right, I'm sending you someone that will help. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And so while you wait, you pray. And so we see here in scripture that while they waited, after he gave them this great commission, they prayed and they waited on the Holy Spirit. You know how long they prayed? How long they waited on the Holy Spirit to come? 10 days. 10 days they prayed. If you think about it, it's easy to, to figure this out. If you count the number of days from when he ascended, and we know he ascended on the 40th day, all right? If you count the number of days from then until the day of Pentecost, it, that which was the 50th day, there's a 10-day window there. So they prayed for 10 days, and they waited. Now think about what happened. After they prayed for 10 days, Peter stood up to preach, and if you read his sermon that he preached, it only lasted about 10 minutes. It only takes about 10 minutes to go through the sermon that Peter preached on that day. They prayed for 10 days. Peter preached for 10 minutes. And 3,000 people got saved. Now, we maybe pray for 10 minutes. 
I preach for what seems like 10 days. <laughs> and three people get saved. All our zeros are in the wrong place. All our zeros in the, in the wrong place. And I, I believe that I know why. I believe that it's because we think we can do it. Well, we, we think we can come up with a better plan. We think we can come up with a better program. We think we can do this. Jesus told us to be his witnesses in all, into all the world. We can do this. Now we've got airplanes and trains and automobiles and the internet and cell phones and computers. We can do this. Hey, we don't need any help. We got this. We've got, we've got a plan. And, and, and so, you know, I, I believe that the reason our zero's in the wrong place is because we think we're good at what we do. Now, we're not really, but we think we are. And, and, and so we have this sense that we think that we can do this. We can accomplish this. And we don't have this sense of desperation that they had because they knew they couldn't, Right? And because we think we can, we're, we're not as desperate as they are for God's help and for God to work in, our, in and through our lives because we're arrogant enough to think that we can do it without his help. But they knew that if God didn't do it, if God didn't move, then it's all worthless. If it wasn't God doing it, then there's no, there's no count in it. People who understand just how little ability they have, people who understand that, that they don't have the ability and they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the finances or whatever it takes, they understand the importance of prayer without having to be told to pray. Huh? You ever found yourself in a situation that you were totally out of control of? What was the first thing that came natural to you? Ask God for help. Huh? The call from the doctor came, said, you got cancer. You can't fix that. He can. We pray. Right? When we understand, when we truly understand how much we need God, we're quick to pray. But most of the time, we think we can handle it on our own, and so we don't. These people, were, these people were desperate for God's help. Are we desperate for God's help? I believe if we're desperate for his help, we'll be people of prayer. All right? This powerful movement began with people who were devoted to praying. And we see it time and time again uh, here in the book of Acts. When one of their people got in trouble over in Acts chapter 4, what did they do? They prayed. They hit their knees, and they prayed. Before they lobbied the government, before they lobbied Congress, what'd they do? They prayed. They hit their knees and prayed. When they had a financial need, before they organized a building committee or a finance committee, the first thing they did was hit their knees and say, God, we don't have it, but you do, and you can provide. They prayed. When one of them was being persecuted or one of them uh, was needing boldness here in the book of Acts, we see the, where they got this boldness from was they went to God in prayer. They got down on their face and said, God, I don't have the boldness. I don't have the strength to go through what it is we're going through, but you can give it to me. And he did. He gave them the boldness that they needed to face what they faced. The, the problem here is not that we need more self-discipline when it comes to our prayer lives. See, again, that comes back to us thinking that there's something we can do. Oh, I just need more self-discipline in my life, and then I'll be a better person of prayer. The, the problem is not we, that we need more self-discipline. The problem is that you need a sense of how desperate you are on God to do through you what only he can do. 
All right? And, and we need to understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. From apart to him, we can't accomplish anything, as Granny used to say, that would amount to a hill of beans. And, and we need to understand that and realize that and, and get that. The, the, listen, the least disciplined person in here today, it, it doesn't come down to discipline because I'm going to say the least disciplined person that's in here today does not have to be reminded to breathe. I don't hear anybody sitting by anybody, beside anybody today going, okay, breathe. You know, we don't need an accountability partner in our life to, to remind us to breathe. No, you just do it. Why do you do it? Because your body craves air. It, it craves air. And, and when you crave the Holy Spirit, when you crave the presence of God, when you crave that power and that fire to be at work in your life and you understand how dependent you are upon him to live this life and to go through this journey as a parent, good grief, as a parent, we need help, right? As a spouse, we need help. I don't. My spouse is perfect, but some of you have some jacked up spouses, all right? <laughs> But to understand how much help we need in the church for God to use us and guide us and do what he wants to do. Listen, we won't have to be told to pray. We won't have to hear sermons about prayer. We won't have to be commanded to pray. We'll just do it instinctively because we'll have a hunger for these things in our lives. And we know that we can't do this on our own. Those who are part of the movement. Listen, those who are part of the movement will be people of prayer. And then the fourth thing that we see here that I want to back up and, and, and go back to this morning is this. They were devoted to God's presence. They were devoted to his presence. We see here in verse 42, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And we're like, sign me up for that, right? I mean, I'm all about that. But as much as we'd like to see this and convince ourselves that they were devoted to eating, <laughs> Or going to Andy's, that's not exactly what this is talking about. It's not what it means. Although I think some great fellowship could happen at Andy's. I'm just telling you. Uh, but the breaking of bread that's mentioned here was a way to talk about uh, communion. Okay? It was the Lord's table. Uh, and Jesus had promised to be present at the Lord's table in a very powerful way. In a, in a very unique and, and special way. And, and listen, he's always present in our lives. He's always present in our worship. But at the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, says that he is present in an unusually powerful way. And when you combine that with this sense of devotion that these believers had back then, when you combine that with this sense that every believer had when this movement began, that they were filled with the Spirit of God. And when they came together, <laughs> when they came together as this movement, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ coming together, they expected God to do something awesome. They came expecting it. 
Don't miss this. When they came together, yeah, they did life every day, like we talked about in their little groups, their fellowships, and their small groups, and their Sunday school classes that says they met every single day. But when they came together as the church, they expected when all of these people came together that were prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit, God is fixing to do something awesome. And 3,000 people would be saved. And 5,000 people would be saved. They came expecting God to do something awesome and, and incredible. They, they came, Paul explained in 1 Corinthians that when, that when they showed up to church, they were prayed up, they were filled up, and they were ready to hear the words from God. They were ready to share the words from God. And, and they came together with this great expectation that God was going to be there and God was going to do some incredible things. And can I ask you this morning, do you come to church expecting that? Do you come expecting that? I believe, you know, when we come to church, even when we go to small group, when we go to Sunday school class, what is it that we come expecting? What do we expect to happen? What do we expect to take place? Are you expecting to meet with God in a very powerful and real way as the body of Christ comes together, prayed up and filled up? Do you expect something awesome to happen? We sang about being in awe of what God is doing earlier. Do we actually gather? We're going to look at that in just a minute. But do you, do you come with a sense of anticipation? Or do you come to church as a, a sense of obligation? Instead of anticipation, do you come out of obligation? Or maybe you come thinking, you know what, they, they got the best music in town, and I don't know that. I've not been to every church in town, but I'd say we have the best music in town. Uh, but, but maybe you just come because you know you're going to hear some good music, and maybe, just maybe, you'll hear, you know, an entertaining pep talk. You know, I, I, I don't know. Or do, you know, do you, do you come with a anticipation of what God's going to do. I, I love you being here. I'm glad every single one of you are here today. Uh, but can I just ask you, because I love you and I'm your pastor, and I know some things that God's Word says and I say are uncomfortable, but I love you and I will not sugarcoat anything for you, but can I just ask you this morning, why are you here? Why are you here? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why did you come? Did, what did you come expecting? Did you come anticipating a powerful movement of God in your lives and in our church? Did you come here expecting to meet with the holy God <laughs> and experience his fire and his power and his presence? Did you come to receive words from God did you come to hear from God? Did you come to share God's word uh, with others? Did you come with that sense of, of anticipation? And this morning I'm going to do something that I have I debated uh, whether to go or not. I just want to give you some casual observations. I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like there are some, maybe some signs in our lives that we may not be expecting to meet with God uh, when we come. And I, I want you to know I'm not judging you. I just want you to hear some things that I've observed. And I'm not saying that these things always mean that you're not expecting to meet with God. Don't get me wrong. But if these things are true, I think it's worth asking the question, how serious are we about being a part of the movement. Fair enough? 
Come in late and leave early. And I realize that life happens. We had kids. We had twins. I laugh at some of you that have trouble getting one to church. <laughs> Seriously? Start having them two at a time, then you'll get my respect. Or three at a time. And I realize that when you have kids, Satan will do everything possible to keep you from getting them all corralled and in the car and to church on time. I understand that that happens and it's difficult some days to be on time, but could it be that the reason that you show up late week after week after week is because you're not really expecting to meet God when you get here? Because I believe, here's what I believe, I believe if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was going to be here in person, live and in person, you'd get here early. I, I'm going to say if we announce today... Jesus contacted us and told us he's going to be here next Sunday. Both services, 8.30, 10.30 service. He's going to be here. He's going to share a little word with you. And he's going to answer any questions that you might have. He's going to help you with anything that you need help with. I'm going to say, if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ would be here next Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30 service, I'm going to say the parking lot would be full. Every seat would be taken, and they probably would be full 30 minutes before service began. This fall, the Alabama Crimson Tide's going to come to the hill. And for those of you that aren't from around here, the hill is Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's where the hogs play. Crimson Tide's going to come to Fayetteville and play the hogs in football in October. And I'd be willing to bet... No. No. I would never bet. But I'd be willing to say that if a, you're a Razorback fan or an Alabama fan, I'd be willing to say that if I were to give you tickets to that game, that you would be so excited that you'd probably get there just a little bit early. You'd anticipate for the parking issue, and you'd just want to be there before the game started because you'd want to capture every minute because who knows, we might be in it the first quarter, and so you'd want to see that. You know, you might even, I would say some of you might even go as far, if I gave you tickets to that ball game, you might even go as far as to book a hotel room the night before where you could get up there and stay overnight and tailgate all day, anticipating this opportunity to play the best college football team in America and maybe pull off an upset, and you'd spend all day anticipating and being excited about the game that's about to take place because there's this sense of anticipation. And I cannot figure out for the life of me how people can get more excited about a sporting event than they do meeting with God. Praying up, preparing for the meeting to come and anticipating 
this meeting with God and his people. Is there anything in this world? I, I, I don't want you to answer out loud, but can I just ask you this morning personally? Is there anything in this world that is better than meeting with God? We, we sit here in an uncomfortable situation now, and we answer no, when in all reality, this will be the last Sunday that I will see many of you until school starts back. It's the truth. And I don't have a problem with people taking vacation. But sometimes we just take the summer as an opportunity to set out a church because other things are more enjoyable, other things are more exciting than meeting with God. <laughs> and, and let me give you another one. And you have to promise me right now, you, when I say this, you will not look around. You promise? No looking around. If I see anyone look around, I'm, I'll stop mid-sentence and we're going to move on. No looking. You promise? You're not going to look. You're going to look me right square in the eye. You're not going to look around. But what about people that don't bring their Bible or something to take notes with? Don't look around. <laughs> don't look. And I'll get pushed back on this, and I'll get excuses, and I'll get everything else, probably get someone else mad. But honestly, you're in church for an hour, and you don't think that there's anything that might be said that's worth remembering or writing down for future reference? You know, when, and I thought about this the, the other day as I was I knew what I was going to be talking about this week. I watched, we have staff meeting uh, on Tuesdays. And when they all come in, they all, they all come in looking so professional. And none of us are professional, but we, we try to look at some days. And they all will come in and they'll have their, a notepad or pen, or they, some of them take notes on their phone or, or, or whatever. But I, I was thinking, you know, if your boss asks to meet with you, that he wanted to talk with you about something, you probably would bring a pad and a pen, something to write with, or maybe an electronic device that you could take notes with. Because, listen, you're going to want to know, and you're going to want to remember, and you're going to perhaps want to reference back what they've talked to you about so that you can get it right, and it will be some help to you maybe later on in the week about some project you're working on, you know? And listen... You know that, that it's important in life for, for certain things, and, and, and I'm not judging you. I, I'm just saying, what does it say about us? You know, if we, don't, if we don't think that anything that is said here on Sunday morning is important to our lives enough to write it down so we can reference back to it. You know, I, what does it say about us if we don't even bring a copy of the Word of God? to see if what's coming out of my mouth is even true or not. Because listen, I type these slides that go up here, and I basically could put anything up there that I wanted to put and make it say whatever I wanted to say, and some of you would never know the difference. You would never know. And, and so what does it say about us if, if we don't take any notes about what the Spirit of God might be saying to us, or we don't, you know carry a copy of God's word with us that's so important to our lives and to our church. I, you know, it might just mean that we're not really coming expecting God to do something amazing. It might just mean that we're not coming expecting God to speak something into our lives that would be very helpful for us and maybe our families and, and our church. 
And I could mention several others that I've witnessed regularly, uh, but honestly, I'd like to keep my job just a little while longer. Um, and, and I'll just wrap up today like this. I, I sometimes look out across the crowd. I, I can't help but watch you. I mean, we're on the platform uh, during worship. Uh, and I can't help but sometimes look out across the crowd during worship. And, and I can tell by the look on some faces. Um, I, I always say about myself, and this is so true, I don't have to say a word. You, can, you know exactly what I'm thinking by the look on my face. Some of you are the same way. I, I've read in Scripture several instances where people... We're in the presence of God. We sang about some of those examples earlier where they would fall on their face, they would fall on their knees, they'd lift up holy hands, take off their sandals. There's lots of instances in the Bible about, you know, people being in the presence of God and none of them included having your arms crossed and looking like you're aggravated because you don't like the song. In the presence of God, will we be bored? Will we be bored in the presence of God? And I'm not asking you to start acting. I'm not asking, you know, I'm not saying start pretending that you act like you enjoy being here. I, I'm just saying this. Ask yourself, are you serious about God and being in his presence? That's the question to ask. It's not, did I bring my notebook today? The, the bottom line is this. Are you serious about God and being in his presence? That's what it means to be a part of the movement, to be devoted to these things. And, and I know that this is a sermon no one wants to hear, but it's, it's a sermon we need to hear. Do you anticipate this gathering? Do you get excited about coming together with your brothers and sisters in Christ in worship as a body of believers that's just trying to keep this movement going? Are we excited about the fact that God invited us to even be a part of his movement? Because if I were him, I wouldn't have invited me. <laughs> I just said, no, he'll drag the movement down. Right after verse 42 here, I, lo I love this one last thing before we get to communion this morning. After we see what these early believers were devoted to and what they were committed to in verse 42, we see in verse 43, five words. Everyone was filled with awe. And I can't help but ask, does that define our church? Does it define what we're doing here each and every week? Are we in awe of what God has done? And are we in awe of what he's doing? Do you come ready for that? Do you come anticipating that in your life and in your family and, and in our church? And then to close this morning, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to uh, the Lord's table. And it was at the Lord's table that, that Jesus uh, said, every time you gather at the table, do this in remembrance of me. 
And we're instructed by the scriptures how to remember. And it's by gathering at the table in the sacrament of communion, the Lord's table. The apostle Paul shares with us how that we should remember that. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night before he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Listen. This is what the movement was all about. It was about the breaking of the body. It was about the blood that was shed to cleanse you of your sin. It was the only way it could be done. That's why the movement began. is because they understood how critical it was that they get this story to every human that would walk on the face of this earth. Their souls depended on it. And Jesus says, do this to remember me. It's it's because of the death and and the resurrection that, that we can have life, that we can have real life, we can have eternal life. And at the time that, that, that Jesus was about to give his life, he was about to give his life up as a, a, a ransom for you and, and for me. Jesus took this bread and he took the cup and he said, do this and remember. Do this to remember what I did for you. Do this to remember what this movement is all about. Paul went on to say in verse 26, he said, For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When you you take part in communion today, here's what you're saying. Here's what uh, you're proclaiming and announcing. You're saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the Son of God. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And you're also announcing and proclaiming that I am a member of the movement. I'm a a part of this movement. And not only am I a part of this movement, but I'm devoted to it. I'm devoted to the movement. That's your announcement as you participate in in communion today. And if you're unable to say that today, I think it would just be uh, probably a good thing for you just to allow the communion basket to pass and just spend some time in prayer today. Asking God, am I part of the movement or am I watching the movement? And maybe you don't know today and you just need to settle that and get that right with God instead of receiving the communion today because the Apostle Paul goes on to say there's a warning that goes along with this. In verse 27, he says, So anyone who eats this bread or or drinks this cup unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He says, That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread 
and drinking the cup. And so I believe Paul is basically saying here that we should probably make sure that we're part of the movement before we come to the Lord's table and pretend that we are. <laughs> and, and, and so this morning, that's, you know, it's between you and God, and maybe you'd like to pass. Nobody's going to think anything strange about that today, but maybe you'd just like to prayer. But I want to uh, pray, but I want to ask our ushers to come at this time and help me uh, distribute uh, these elements this morning. The Church of the Nazarene does not require that you be a member of this local church, only that you're a member of His church. And to be a member of His church, you must have believed and received Him as your Lord and Savior. And so uh, you can, uh, you're invited to participate if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. So we're going to distribute those. If you would just take one and then pass it on to the next person and 